Today's episode of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling is brought to you by Eat Your Coffee. Energize the moment with Eat Your Coffee, a coffee company that was founded by coffee-deprived college students at Boston's Northeastern University. Today, the company is on a mission to get people energized with tasty caffeinated snacks. Every Eat Your Coffee bar is caffeinated with fair trade coffee, comparable to one cup, and is made with real ingredients so you can feel good with every energizing bite. And as always, energize the moment with Eat Your Coffee. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Power Trip of Wrestling, brought to you today and powered by our good old friends over at Eat Your Coffee. 
But if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only J.P. John Paz. And J.P. John Paz, we are about to strap in for a long one as you go one-on-one with today's guest, Scott Flash Norton, joining the program to discuss his brand new autobiography, which I am sure, as we settle in for this episode, you are going to know a lot about by the time it comes to a close and you are going to get on your computer and you are going to pre-order one of these books, Strong Style, Scott Norton's Autobiography. What an amazing get here for the two-man power trip. Obviously, if you think about the theme of some of the shows we've done in the past, you think about some of the guests, Scott Norton fits in like a glove. Also, hearing some uh, high acclaim by some former guests kind of helping put us over to Scott Norton and kind of convincing that we are the proper platform for a Scott Norton book promotional stop as we have talked to former tag team partners of his. And uh, now we get the vicious side of Scott Norton coming out here today. So, John, as I welcome you in here now, tell us a little bit about this interview we got here on tap with Scott Flash Norton. Tell us about the autobiography and tell us about this emotional interview that you had with the uh, the big man, Scott Norton. Yes, Chad. It is a total honor to be a part of this official book release, and we're one of the first interviews that are be able to go out there and really start promoting this book. So thank you to Scott. Thank you to all those people for letting us be a part of that. And it really is a big honor and a big honor for the show, really, to be just a part of this book in general, but to be a part of one of his first interviews and to be a part of the official book release is, is pretty great. And think about it. What a freaking career he had. Arm wrestling legend, one of the greatest of all times. Then he goes into the pro wrestling world and becomes a huge legend. One of the best gaijins of all time. When you think of those awesome New Japan gaijins, just those legends, Vader. Bigelow. Then you throw in the other gaijins, not only New Japan, but all Japan as well. The Dr. Death, Steve Williams of the world, the Brodies, the Hansons, the Bam Bam Terry Gordies. Then you throw in Scott Flash Norton. He's right up there with those guys. Think about that lineage and think about those legends and think about those gaijins. Scott Flash Norton is right up there with them. One of the all-time greats. Not even mentioning the career in WCW. I'm just talking about New Japan and there's to run in Japan, just how legendary that was. And that is a big discussion in the book, Strong Style. Yes, the, the autobiography of Scott Norton, appropriately named Strong Style because that is the style of choice, if you will, over there in Japan. And he fit that like a glove. I mean, if you just go to scottflashnorton.com, that is one time again, scottflashnorton.com. You check out all the details on the book. Definitely pre-order it, make your plans, and there's a little bit more info on there and on that site, so definitely check that out. But when you do that and, and you look at the cover, just look how awesome that book cover is, first of all. It's just great. But just look at all the detail that goes into it and think about that cover. Think about that picture of him and you know, looking great and, the, and the, the strongness of the picture, if you will. Strong style fits him so perfectly. That stiff, snug style that he had in the ring those awesome power moves, the awesome run that he had there. Two-time New Japan IWGP world champion. Not a lot of guys had that distinction. Not a lot of guys had that honor. And when we talk about it in the interview, only three men in the history, 
as of Gaijin have been a multiple time I'm IWGP world champion in the near 50 year history of New Japan for wrestling. That's AJ Styles, that's Big Van Vader, and that is Scott Norton. That is quite a crew. And really, only eight Gaijins have been the IWGP champion as it is. So, I mean, what a career, what a run. You can't really kind of put into words. So if you think about it, New Japan just in general is one of the greatest wrestling promotions ever in the history. Then you think about the legendary Gaijins that I mentioned, and even more that I didn't mention. Then you think about the champions. Then you think about the Gaijin champions. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. What an awesome career. And I love getting to talk about New Japan in a 16-year run, which is friggin' unprecedented itself. But that is a huge point of topic, or excuse me, topic of discussion, really, and a lot of huge points made is the New Japan run. Obviously, we do talk about WCW and arm wrestling and the AWA as well, and even the Pacific Northwest, but I think a lot of focus, as it should be, is on New Japan for wrestling, and of course, on the book, which is appropriately named Strong Style. And when you see the cover of the book, yeah, that is a great thing to pick out right out, right out of the gate. It is just the antithesis of what you think about with Scott Norton. You see that big brooding physique you see that intense look on his face and you kind of wonder if you were to slot scott norton into today's wrestling world that he would literally be probably the biggest guy out of i would say what over 90 percent of people who are putting on the tights these days and that's not to disparage anybody who's putting on the tights it is just that scott norton is that much of a physical specimen and the power and the the just the attitude the perfect mix I would love to see him getting in the ring and uh, kind of throw around some of the lighter guys today just as a spectacle more than anything. But just like John said, it's an absolute honor to have Scott Norton use this platform to be one of the first stops here to announce this book. Obviously, you know, I, I wish I could have been able to join you guys, but I know you, he was in great hands as he could walk down the, uh, the, the memory lane with you because if there's anybody who's going to point out some of these Japanese uh, highlights as well as some of the other career things that he's done. You're the perfect guy for the job. But looking at the interview itself, John, would you say there's any part specific that you really did love touching on? Something that you knew kind of got Scott really engaged into what you guys were talking about? I love talking about the Minnesota history as far as the wrestlers and stuff, and maybe even some things that I didn't know that I was able to find out. Obviously, there's a lot more detail and in-depth in the book. But his longtime friendship with Rick Rude, and obviously you know Kurt Henning for a while, but very, very long time friendship with Rick Rude. They were friends since they were kids. And then also longtime friendship with Hawk, Road Warrior Hawk, and they were friends since they were kids. So I just think that is really cool and really fascinating. And you know, he starts to get a little choked up and starts to get a little emotional talking about his friends that have passed and his friends that he knew for so long and they were able to share some time in the wrestling business together and a lot of great memories a lot of fond memories so i thought that was one of my favorite parts of the interview they were able to kind of delve into that outside of the wrestling stuff and kind of outside the new japan world and outside the wcw world really cool to kind of go into that not only minnesota wrestling scene but that minnesota bond if you will that friendship because that it's so damn cool that those guys were that you know friends for that long and able to kind of share in the wrestling business together. Even with Rick Rude, share in the arm wrestling business together because while he was basically the world champion, the world heavyweight champion, Rick Rude at this point was kind of the world light heavyweight champion of arm wrestling. 
So that's a really kind of cool story, really cool correlation. And there's a great line that he says, and I know he covers it more in depth in the book, but he talks about Masa Saito, who recently passed, huge wrestling legend in Japan. He said that, Scott Norman, hey, if you could find some more guys that are about, you know, six foot to six two, two forty, you know, in that range or even more, you know, these bigger guys, of course, Gaijin, and as long as they're from Minnesota, bring them over to New Japan because I want those guys. Those are the guys that are born and bred to be in the pro wrestling business. Oh, my gosh. And just like you said, you named a couple there. It's like it was a hotbed at one point, just natural professional wrestlers to come out of the state of Minnesota. We've talked about them in past episodes, but this is great to focus in on that in this episode and really stay tuned to listen for that as well as where you can get the book, when you can get the book, and how you can learn everything about Scott Norton. So as we wrap it up here now and we get moving on the road, in the next couple of weeks you're going to be hearing a lot about the TMPT conventions and events going on here in 2019 we've got lined up first mark out at the meadowlands on april 7th the day of wrestlemania in secaucus new jersey you can head to matmcon.com for more information on that as well as head on over to our website tmptofwrestling.com where you can get all the information on the jim Cornette experience and midnight express 35th anniversary on may 18th in richmond virginia at the holiday inn Again, for tickets, you can go to tmptofwrestling.com. There's a link that sends you over to Brown Paper Tickets where you can get all the VIP information for the Jim Cornette experience and join us at both of those events. So make your plans now. Tickets going fast. Anything I could say to get you to come to one of those shows if you're in the the area for WrestleMania or if you're going to be heading down to the beautiful Richmond, Virginia area on May 18th. So with all that being said, We want to thank you for listening today. We want to thank Mr. Norton again for coming on and giving us the time. So strap in, folks, and get ready for a little Scott Norton here on the two-man power trip. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former two-time IWGP World Tag Team Champion, a former two-time IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, you who may know him as Flash, but he is Mr. Strong Style himself, Scott Norton. Please enjoy. 
IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, as, a, as well as a former two-time IWGP World Tag Team Champion, also in the Pacific Northwest. He was a world champion. He is none other than Flash. Scott Norton, Miss Norton, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I think first and foremost, what we want to talk about, what we have you on, is the big book release, and we're honored to have one of your first interviews for this huge book release. Of course, that book is called Strong Style, and it is your awesome autobiography that's going to be coming out very, very soon, May 25th to be exact. And you can go to scottflashnorton.com, which is the official page, and you can check out the book and a lot of other cool stuff. Well, you know, Scott Flash Norton, please tell us about this awesome new book you got coming out. Well, it's something we've been working on for quite a while. You know, uh, I've had a lot of great uh, experiences in my life. I've had a lot of uh, ups and downs, but I'll tell you what, it's been a it's been an un, unbelievable two careers, my arm wrestling career, then my wrestling career, growing up as a young guy. And I just want to get my story out there. And it's a it's a great book, and uh, it's very entertaining. And I'm super super proud of it. And we're really uh, it's uh, it's going to be great. I love it, strong style, because obviously that tells a lot about your your history with Japan and that strong style, so to speak, that they have but it kind of fits you perfectly in that whole title. So can you just talk about, you know, the experience of the book? How did this whole thing come about? Because you know, 30 years in the wrestling business, so to speak, and then obviously the arm wrestling career, but how did this book come about? Well, uh, my wife was the one that really wanted me to do this. And uh, I remember we were, she would go to Japan quite often. It was me, uh, Jeff Farmer, NWO Sting, and her, we are walking down the, uh, street one night come back from a restaurant she says you know it's starting to get we need to start working on this book and I said I don't know you know I mean it was I was kind of apprehensive about it and uh lo and behold we started you know pursuing it we started working on it and we we got a ghostwriter named Alan Randis who was a huge fan of mine and uh chronologically he has everything I've ever done in Japan in order 
interviews, matches. And uh, so we hooked up with him, and we've been working on it since 2011, and uh, we made it. You know, it's a it's been a long, tough process. I'm not an author. I'm a pro wrestler. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, it's something that uh, we've worked on, and it's been – it's been tough, you know, but uh, it's a great story. And uh, I'm so proud of it. It's unbelievable. And that's amazing that he has your whole history in Japan because if, you know, anybody knows anything about your career, you've had a lot of tours in well, Japan. You see, Adam, when when the WW.com stuff first came out, all of our wives and everything would sell your merchandise on on, on – uh, on the web, you know, and uh, he would translate articles from Japan and send them to my wife because she, she ran my website. And so they got to be friends, you know, because it was really cool because he, he, this guy was, Adam's just, you know, he's a professor and he's a very intelligent man. The time he was doing all this, what I was still wrestling mainly in Japan. He was just a kid. He was in his early teens. <laughs> You know, years on later, you know, we finally, you know, when she said, we're, you know, she uh, messaged Adam, says, well, Scott's getting ready to do his book. We really want you to write. And he said it'd be an honor. And uh, when I found out how young he was and following me like that, and, you know, he would watch all this with his grandfather, and it just, it just all fell together. It's just, I'm so fortunate. I've been fortunate in the business. End of the deal, you know. I started when I was 30 almost, and the doors opened up for me. And I've always said I've had a lot of great opportunities. And, you know, Hawk would tell me, he says, yeah, but you walked through the door. You know, you, you get an opportunity, you took it, you know, because I, I, I just feel fortunate, you know, with, you know, New Japan get, taking me under the wing. And then Eric with WCW, it was just a great – I've had good opportunities. And – Thankfully, I took a bunch of them. Oh, boy, did you ever. And, you know, when you kind of came into the wrestling business from arm wrestling, you kind of did have a name for yourself, and you kind of built yourself up. And I think a lot of people probably remember not only you winning 30-plus arm wrestling championships, but I think they probably remember over the top with Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, you know, that's that's the, the big one there. That's the biggest tournament ever, the most legendary tournament in our sport. And... Uh, I stepped away from arm wrestling for two years just to train for that tournament. And when I mean train, I went to work. And it was, that was my focus. It didn't matter. It was, I wasn't going to take that tournament. And I was going to, you know, Cleve Dean was a, a nemesis, man. This dude's a monster. Six foot eight, six nine, six hundred and forty pounds. And he, you know, nobody beat him yet. And, uh, you know, I was getting tired of uh, getting beaten by him. He beat me five times for that day. And uh, I went to work, and uh, we did it. You know, that was the biggest tournament, you know. And, and unfortunately, I look back right now, I loved arm wrestling. When pro wrestling knocked on my door, you know, and I said, well, it's time to get a career going, I left. When I left, I was, there was nobody close. I mean, I've just dominated the sport, and uh, I, re- I don't regret it, but I wish that over the years I didn't sustain the injuries that I did 
because I'd love to go back now because I still, you know, inside in my head, I want to be that guy. But, you know, we just get torn apart in the ring over the, that many years, and it's just, you know, you can't, you know, it's just hard to get back to where you were. Absolutely. And the Flash nickname came from arm wrestling, right? That was because you had so many quick victories in your arm wrestling career? Yeah. An old buddy of mine back in Minneapolis uh, nicknamed me Flash. Eddie Lind, uh come off the stage at uh, we, it was a five-state arm wrestling championship. I'm from Midwest Championship. It was a big tournament. It was a lot. Of, it was a two-day tournament. It was huge. And uh, there was this pretty good-sized guy, and I just pounded him. And, man, Eddie says, you flash that dude. And I said, yeah. And all of a sudden, Hawk, and everybody just started calling me Flash. And uh, it stuck, you know. And uh, just when you get a nickname, they they stay with you. Up until then, I was called Hungry. <laughs> <laughs> My nickname was Hungry. Hey, Hungry. I said, okay, I'll take the Flash if you don't mind. <laughs> Now, you know, you're talking about Hawk and everything, and obviously a huge pro wrestler, Road Warrior fame, everything else. But did they know you pre-wrestling? I mean, they knew you as an arm wrestler because of the Minnesota area, or did they know you because of arm wrestling, and that's how you kind of got intertwined with them? No, me and Hawk went to school together. I, we, we, I knew Kurt, Rude. I knew Rude before I met Hawk. Oh, wow. I, was, I went to grade school or middle school with, uh, with Rick. Me and Rick were friends way back. Rick is the guy that I started arm wrestling with in the cafeteria at lunchtime in seventh grade. And we'd <laughs> always get an ice cream sandwich or, you know, a little side dish on, on lunch. And, you know, and me and Rick pretty much cleaned house in that, you know, but I, I was bigger than Rick. I was, you know, I mean, Rick was a, was a world-class light heavyweight arm wrestling when he got – you know, because we arm muscled all the way into our 20s. And, uh, matter of fact, Rick took, uh, I think he took second place to Johnny Walker in the world tournament while he was wrestling. Rick was a badass, man, I'm telling you right now. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, me, Hawk, Rick Rude go way back. Kurt, I got to know Kurt very well right out of high school. He's a great dude. Love Kurt. And then, you know, just the Minnesota area, there's a lot of arm, arm, I mean, a lot of full wrestling pedigree there. I mean, a lot of talent comes out of Minneapolis. So when I came into full wrestling, of course, hockey, you know, I knew everybody knew about who I was as far as, you know, an arm wrestling guy, you know, I was a big strong bench press guy, and I was Hawk's buddy. And, you know, when Hawk was proud of you, you know, it's, hey, my buddy Norch, you know, I mean, he just, Mike was a amazing man, and if he was your best friend, the best friend you ever had. And the stories about Hawk in the book killed me. <clears throat> Good friend. It is amazing to think about you knowing that crew, if you will, you know, the Hawks of the world and the Rick Rude of the world and the Kurt Angle of the world, and so much talent coming out of that Minnesota area it's almost unbelievable that that much good talent and main eventers and headliners can come out of one area, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, everywhere we go, you know, I remember my society come up to me about a year in the business and, uh, you know, I'm still worried about trying to get my feet planted in the ground. 
He goes, Scott, I suggest Masa. He says, I need a young man, maybe six foot two, 240 pounds, preferably from Minnesota, good pro wrestler, Minnesota. <laughs> you find <laughs> me, okay? <laughs> I says, I'll go to the wrestling tree, Masa. You got tree, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but everybody, everybody knows about it. You know, I was talking with Haku about two weeks ago. He says, you sons of guns up there in Minnesota. What happened? What, why there? And I said, well, how about you guys out there in the islands? There's a place, you know, that just a lot of guys, a lot of talent, you know, and I mean, there's, you know, Barry Darceau, I mean, Wayne Bloom, Mike Enos. Uh, I mean, I, I'm having a little rough time thinking of everybody. Brad Ring and a lot of guys, Flair. I mean, a lot of guys come from the Twin City area. I mean, it was cool going to school with Hawk and Rude and heard it in the area. You know, I mean, and the AWA was a big deal up there. You know, we always, you know, you watch in AWA and then went right in the pregame for the, the Vikings game. And it was the Vikes on Sunday afternoon. But uh oh, this was a big deal. Now, you know, you mentioned a great relationship, obviously, with Rick Rude and a great relationship with Hawk. Did they ever try to recruit you to the business kind of earlier than you got, ended up eventually getting into the business in 1989? Yes. Yeah, I went, to, I went into Eddie Sharkey's camp with Hawk, but I didn't want to do it. I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready for it uh, as an adult. I was, you know, I was a pretty crazy young guy. I, I, my heart wasn't in it. I was kind of... Uh, Early out of my life, I think I was a little intimidated by big crowds and uncomfortable. And it's something I kind of pushed pushed away from. But then after I started, you know, I was successful in arm wrestling right away. Boom. And it was just something that was, I was, I, I'm a, I was a natural arm wrestler. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I mean, I just, I was, Really blessed with being out of arm wrestling skills, and it just blew up. So I, you know, I was concentrating with this. I I loved arm wrestling. I wanted to break the world bench press record. I knew pro wrestling was there for me, and I went. Hawk just kept driving on me. You got to go to camp with me. This is for you, Scott. You can do this. And you just and I said, Mike, it just not. I'm not ready for this right now. So I, you know, I just didn't didn't do it and uh he was he was pissed yeah he you know he wanted me to come in with him and you know start working you know i mean same territory whatever you know he wanted he thought i could do it you know but i just wasn't ready for it and then years later after i won the, the uh over the top with the movie and everything i was i was torn with the movie where it premiered and uh i was in japan and uh, a representative from New Japan Pro Wrestling approached me at Corrigan Hall, of all places, where the arm wrestling tournament was a place where I wrestled hundreds of times in Japan. So it's, my, it's one of my favorite venues, and I, I'm not the only guy that thinks that way. It's just an awesome place. And, you know, I was approached, and uh, I had, you know, they told me, Big interest and in all this, and one thing led to another. Next thing you know, I'm in Brad Reagan's camp. You know, ten years later, and um, now I'm I'm focused. 
no, I'm, you know, I'm. This is the career I need to make. Move I make need to make. I had a lot more confidence in myself. I was. Uh, I mean, it wasn't that I wasn't confident as a man, the young guy. But I was just apprehensive. You know, I was kind of. It's tough getting out there. I mean, your first few matches are hell. <laughs> hmm. I mean, you're really nervous. I, beyond anything, I mean. It's just crazy, you know. And some had you had to get past and everything, and then all of a sudden you get, you know, then you get to a comfort level. It's just awesome. It's just, you know, it's just God. Why why didn't I do this sooner? But I it wouldn't have been as good. I wasn't disciplined enough if I'd have started at that point in time. So everything happens for a reason, and and that was a one with me that that meant a lot, you know. That when I. I did get my chance. You know, I had to prove myself in New Japan. It wasn't like I just walked in the door and they said, Eric, boom, you got a spot. I had to go to work. I had to go to, you know, I, I started with the AWA. I, I did this. I don't know if you ever heard of Ice Road Trucker Tony Candelo up in Winnipeg. I did that I'm, for eight weeks. That was hell. I went, you know, did the $50 a night in Portland for about nine months. And you know you got to pay your dues. You got you know you got to work for it, and, and it happened. And when New Japan called me, I was ready, and you know, and I was ready as an individual, and I, you know, physically, I was I was there, you know. So I, it worked out for me. It is interesting, kind of like the path, arm wrestling legend, and you, you know, you kind of make your way in AWA, and like you said, Portland, and and going to Winnipeg a little bit, and you know, kind of making your way, but then. 1990 hits and you're in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Was that kind of like a huge just culture shock for you, wrestling in Japan? Was that seen? Or were you so used to it already from doing the arm wrestling circuit over in Japan? No, I wasn't. That that was uh, it's, it, I mean it, it's tough. I mean I'm not a very patient man back, for sure back then. And there, I mean you got CNN once in a while, to make a phone call home, I mean, you're you're gone. And, I mean, you're in these small towns. You don't know the language. I mean, New Japan was the best company over to work for. It was hands down. They had a guy named Tayama, who was a young guy coming in as I came in. It was a referee that didn't speak a lick of English, but was told to learn. And he would the uh, English classes daily. And he if it wasn't for Tayama, I'd have probably snapped. <laughs> <laughs> no, because he would take you to the restaurants, he'd order food, he'd get you you know, when we had to go to to gyms and get around and then you'd learn, you know, and as you learned you started getting more comfortable there. And you pick up the language a little bit, which I should have done way more, but Tayama was with me all the time. I didn't need to speak Japanese. He, I tell him, he tell them, they tell, you know, everything's cool. But, you know, he helped me such a great deal. But as far as being away, being on the road, it is a culture shock. I mean, it, it's difficult. There's no really entertainment. I mean, you know, when, when the DVDs came out, that's when, you know, people started, you know, the, the uh, got VHS cassettes. We even tried that with the bus. You know, that's the only 
American movie who got to see it was, you're away, you're gone, you know what I mean? And then the CDs, uh, CD players are, God, how long has that been? Since the bit, you know, late 90s. So, you know, it was just, it was tough. It was tough being over there so much. You got a lot of downtime. And people, you're traveling or you're, you know, you're sitting in the hotel room and then all of a sudden that night you're all, it gets more, you know, the commotion starts, the wrestling scene starts rolling, and it's awesome. You know, there's a lot of downtime during the day. It's very difficult. And when you first go over, obviously, you know, like you said, you got to get used to things. It's it's crazy. What about, though, as far as the style and, you know, to quote the book, strong style and having that oh, physical style, did that kind of fit you like a glove? It did. I mean, when I got to Japan, of course, Masa Saito, Brad Reagans was there. And in the locker room, to say at least, I'm wrestling Ricky Choshu, Asi and Kinski, Ricky Choshu is the IWGP champ. Asi and Kinski had to take belts. It was me, Bad News, and Brad Reagans. And Moss is in the locker room, and he's telling me if I didn't knock these three guys out, take their head off, put them through the, the ring mat, just destroy them, not even to come back to the locker room, to just go to bus. <laughs> Hmm. And I mean, back then, you know, I, you know, I, I was, you know, I was running, I was on fire, man. My hair was, I wasn't sitting still too much, you know. What I mean, I was, you know, I mean, it wasn't like I was running around brawling and everything. But I mean, after what I did in Portland, I felt like it was so much different style that I could let loose and be myself, an aggressive heel. And so when they, I mean, about a minute in the match, Hasi and Kinski, I got both them guys. They're, you know, one's out and the other one's half out. And Choshu's like, what the hell is this? You know, and I mean, it fit me perfect. And Hattori just kept saying, great debut, great debut. <laughs> hmm. And I'm just killing these guys. But I was, you know, believe me, they're, they're giving it back. I mean, it's not a one-way street over there. These are the toughest individuals I've ever met in my life. They're the most durable. They can take more punishment than any man I've ever seen in my life. And when it's time to give it back, they're not afraid. And I mean, we rock. And I mean, and but and plus, in our business, boy, they're smart. They know they know how to do it. <laughs> but yeah, it took about. I mean, it was just, it fit me like a glove. When I came back in the locker room, you know, the three guys that we just went to war with, they were happy as you could be. One's eyes swelled shut, the other one's nose bleeding. Hmm. Uh, I mean, it was just, and I mean, and I took some shots. I mean, you know, it was, it was back and forth. And uh, it was war for two years. I mean, it was, it was on. So it fit me perfectly, you know. And, and then it just adapted to Japan and then seeing the way that the office cared for me and, and respected me and they, they gave me the opportunities to put me in these big matches and big, you know, it was just a whirlwind. I mean, I'm, you know, they're trying to make me their top guy and they're, 
pushing me hard and they got me on interviews and that started getting more excited and more exciting. I'm doing TV, I'm doing uh, magazine interviews nonstop, radio, well, a little radio, not a lot. But uh, it was it was it was cool, you know, and uh, so it, it fit me perfectly. I was made for Japan, and uh, Masa, the, the crew, they you know they accepted. It was me and Ben Ma back then. I was the super heavyweight, and Chris was a, a junior, and they pretty much accepted both of us as, as Japanese talent. We worked, you know, because we worked our asses off to stay there, and we. We, you know, they told us to do something. We did it, you know, and they never, never lied to me. They were so straight with me, and, and every promise they made, they kept. And you know, we're flying over there first class. Money was absolutely outstanding. It was just awesome. I mean, it was a great place to work. I made such good relationships and friends. Unbelievable. I, to, to this day, you know, I mean, uh, it was a great run for me. It was an unbelievable ride. But New Japan, strong style, was me, Scott Norton. I I just I fit. And it, you know, when you find your fit, you know, I, I worked in the States for a long time, you know, five years in NWO and everything. And a lot of people would say to me, Scott, you know, they they should have used it better in WCW and I said, Well they yeah, probably. But I was never letting go of Japan. Because that's where I had it, you know. I mean, I was okay. I mean, not okay. I was better than okay. But I, I, my wrestling style was a Japanese-based wrestler, not a uh, American style. You know, it's a, little, it's a little different there. And you know, I wasn't going to give it up. You know, I loved my time in WCW. It was awesome. NWO was outstanding. It was just the greatest of times, man. I mean. It really was. And see, I'll mention that in the book also. I mean, I started wrestling New Japan. We are sold out every night. And I mean sold out. When I come to the States, the WCW and uh, Nitro, we were sold out nonstop. I was spoiled. When I worked in Portland, I'd never be nice. We'd have six people watching the match. Hmm. You know, I, I mean, it was just tough. So, I mean, and it just... You know, you feel like you're all this attention. It's just it, you're, you know, you, everything is so good. The company's making nothing but money. They they call you, you know, the boss is throwing bonuses at us all the time because we're selling out and had really good matches with with their talent. And you know, these guys are all doing their best to help me get along and you know, make the best wrestler I mean they could, you know. And uh I was lucky. But, you know, I was told hard that, you know, and like I said earlier, you know, he says, Yeah, they opened the door but you walked through it. But they did open it. And I mean and and I got some opportunities starting at a lot later age than a lot of guys did. I see a lot of guys come along that should have got the got a break and they never did. Uh, you know, it was Time was on my, you know, just something that happened for me. It worked. And in New Japan, like you said, fit you like a glove. You found your fit. It was definitely suited for you. The snugness, the stiffness, the quote-unquote strong style. I just love that 
when you get a, a gaijin over in Japan that kind of fits that mold, you kind of get over as you know somewhat of a monster, you know, to those to those fans because they're somewhat not used to it. But you kind of joined the ranks there when there was Vader, Bam Bam was there, uh, and obviously yourself. It's kind of a, a monstrous gaijins to have all in New Japan all at once, almost spoiling New Japan there, especially in the early nineties. Oh yeah. You know, uh, Bam Bam and Vader, they were, they, you know, they were there for a year or so after, you know, when I got in. And the heavyweight calendar was unbelievable. I mean, I mean, the, what they call the guy gene bus, the foreign bus, foreigner's bus, we'd have Bam Bam, Vader, Steve Williams, Ron Simmons, the Samoans, Burke. <laughs> On the bus, you know, and I'm just going, good night. I mean, that's like the Hall of Fame right here, you know. And, I mean, these tours were amazing. And, and you know, Bam Bam and Vader, I don't, you know, when I came in, they shortly there later left for whatever reason. I mean, I, I that, you know, that was their decision. But we had great matches. I mean, and, uh, it just the talent, the 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 what the Americans were bringing to Japan was unbelievable. There was so much good talent, obviously on the Japanese side, but uh, you know, speaking with the, the guy, the Gaijin side was just crazy. Like you mentioned, Hercules and, and Doctor Dusty Williams, obviously Vader and Bam Bam, I mentioned, but a former tag partner of yours, a guy that I find kind of goes under the radar, but I loved him. And obviously, people probably remember him as Ludwig Borga in the WWF, but Tony Halme in New Japan, former tag partner with you. You guys beat the Steiner brothers. You win the tag team championships. I just thought, like, man, what an awesome powerhouse tag team you and Tony Halme. Well, Tony was uh, he was a big man for sure, and uh, it was a good tag team to the public. But between he and I, it didn't work. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, it's just you know that's like, and that happens. You have a tag partner like that. You know, Ice Train when I was in WCW mm-hmm. it didn't work. I mean, uh, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but uh, you know, for whatever reason, sometimes you know it doesn't work. You gotta, you gotta respect. And you have to have a great deal of friend, you know, uh, trust in the partner you have. I mean, me and Herc, unbelievable. Me and Buff, unbelievable. Steiner Brothers, they got along with you, of course, you know. You know, good take team partners, pretty much really good friends. And it's just something, you know, you work together, you trust together. And I never found out with Tony, and I never found out with, with ice train and and it happens, you know what I mean. I'm not. I don't want to, you know, throw anybody under the bus. But uh, that's just the way it is. Like when Herc and I, I thought was the best tag team going. When you know it was Hellraiser and, and Steiner Brothers over there, we tore houses down. Me, Herc, and the Steiner Brothers uh, did a main event, the Budokan. You know the. the we're the main. The first time they ever put four Americans in, in the main, and we sold out like boom. And I mean, we tore the house out. It was awesome. 
And, you know, the tank system over there is so much better than this here. The, the, the house shows were, they're fantastic here, too. I'm not taking anything away from what goes on here. But some of these six-man tanks in these house shows over in Japan were just phenomenal, unbelievable. And uh, the work you know, over there is just it's just second to none, man. It's just it's a great place. And, and as far as, you know, partners, powerhouses, you know, they, they were there, brother. But sometimes it just doesn't work. Yeah, sometimes I guess, you know, a lot of fans maybe don't even realize whether the chemistry is there behind the scenes or not. You mentioned not having great with Tony, but Hercules, the Jurassic Powers, former IWGP tag team champs as well, what your chemistry was a lot better with him. And it seemed like it seemed like you guys were a good mesh together just from just, you know, that strong, stiff style and, and body type wise. Herc was awesome. Herc taught me so much and he Herc was a beast. I mean that dude was a badass. He would he if when somebody got on, you know, we call potato in the business, hit me with a, a big shot. Kirk was furious. He, he 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 was your brother. Me and him got along so good. We did everything together. We trained together. We worked out together. We traveled together. He stayed at my house. And just the best partner a guy could ever have. And uh, we, I mean, the personal issues that happened. You know, our partnership didn't end because of something that happened with us professionally. It was it was some out of the business that prevented him from continuing in Japan. But that was, in my eyes, was the best tag team going over there. And I mean, the Steiner brothers are awesome. Hellraisers were awesome, and each of us made each other so much better. Then the Japanese tag partner or teams that you went up against, phenomenal. I mean, you get in there with Tenzan uh, and Kojima. I'm telling you what. Those guys are, they're such a pros, it's incredible. And entertaining the crowds, it's just, we had some tag matches, we're just, you know, and six-man tags. So, yeah, Japan was, was uh, they still love tag teams over there. I mean, here in the States, they don't do it no more. I personally miss it. I think it's great. Hey, let's pause for one second to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Eat Your Coffee. Eat Your Coffee is a coffee company that was founded by coffee-deprived college students that pioneered a new category in caffeinated natural snacks. The company's first product line, Eat Your Coffee Bars, are a date-based snack bar caffeinated with fair trade coffee, which would be comparable to one cup, and made with real ingredients so you can feel good with every energizing bite. Eat Your Coffee snack bars are non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, kosher, 70% organic, and available in three delicious flavors, including fudgy mocha latte, salted caramel macchiato, and peanut butter mocha, my personal favorite. Now that is an energizing combination because they are on a mission to help get people energized with naturally caffeinated snacks made with real, ethically sourced ingredients. So if you want more information, head on over to www.eatyour.coffee, as well as follow them on Instagram, follow them on Facebook, follow them on Pinterest, and follow them on Twitter, and get all the information on how you can energize the moment with eat your coffee bars especially when you can get four guys you know kind of working together it's great and 
you know, like you said, the States is kind of missing out on it, and Japan definitely, especially during the 90s, oh, my God, not only New Japan, all Japan as well, and they had so many good oh, tag absolutely. teams. Oh, absolutely. It was crazy. Yeah, I remember where uh, Mike Barton and uh, Jim Steele, I'm pretty sure it's Jim Steele, I can't, I'm hoping I'm saying mm-hmm. it right. Mm-hmm, yep. Well, they, they, they came from all Japan, and they were in our tag series. And I'm telling you something, they, holy, my, I mean, those two guys just were machines. And uh, I got to be really good friends with Mike and pretty good friends with Jim, but I got to be good friends with Mike. And, uh, you know, they went back to all Japan and I was working in New Japan. And, you know, it was about a year later and I got a call from Mike. He said, Scott, I said, yeah, Mike. He said, my contract's up. He said, well, look at make a move. And I said, you want to come over here? And he says, yeah. I said, I'll talk to Chono. He's the boss. He's the book. I called Chono up. I said, Chono, I need to talk to Don Lobby. Okay. <laughs> Chono's kind of a secretive guy. I, I said, Mike Barton and Jim Steele, they're available. They want to know if they come in. He goes, they're good workers. You tell them yes. Hmm. And they came in the fold, man. And I'm telling you something. Those dudes are awesome. So the talent level was is great and tag series, you know the 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 G one tag series second to none. That turn was unbelievable. I wonder when you're a Hashimoto when they wanted me as a Japanese guy. Tell you we tore the houses down. It was just it was the best thing ever. Hashimoto, I was going to talk about him in, in a second, but I, I guess talk about him now. He was your partner obviously for a period of time. One of the most, if not the most popular. Japanese wrestler of the 90s in New Japan. Was that kind of just, you know, a, a crazy thing that, you know, they're giving you this big push and they kind of put you in there with, kind of showing you like, wow, we really, you know, have a lot of, you have a lot of faith in you. We're going to put you in there. We're going to team you with, you know, one of, if not the most popular wrestler in Japan. Yeah, I mean, they did that a lot. I mean, I, you know, take with, with Hashi, they, they just wanted to, they, they, they so test that you all the time. Mm. You know, and it just they put you in different situations all the time. I mean, you had to show loyalty to that office to get to where they would put you in some of these matches. But, I mean, it wasn't much more than a year. I'm not quite positive on the date, but I was wrestling Chosha for the IWGP championship. And, I mean, that was pressure. And that happened pretty quickly. A year, maybe two. And from the level I came from, where my readiness, coming out of camp, working in the AWA, doing that run up to Canada, then working on Portland, which was great for me, you know, getting in the ring, being in front of TV, doing interviews or whatever. But New Japan, the level went skyrocketing. It was just absolutely off the charts. And I watched every match I could. And I'm just going, man, these dudes are just phenomenal. And I mean, from the opening match to the last match, it was just, there was no messing around. And you, you had to pick up your game. And, and when you work with talent like that, you just get better. And at one point in 92, you get a IWGP heavyweight title shot against another living legend, arguably, again, one of the most popular guys in New Japan, the great Muda. So, I mean, that's pretty high up the food chain oh, as well. Absolutely. Muda, I mean, Muda, all those guys. I mean, 
I can't tell you how many IWGP shots I had, but I remember Toshu Muda. Muda was phenomenal, brother. I mean, that dude was just incredible. And, you know, I worked him a lot. I remember, well, you know, this is in the book. We we went to, uh, to uh, Hong Kong, did a nine-week tour in Japan. I believe it was a that long shot. And anyways, we had 10 days off, and during that period of time, we were going to spend four days in Hong Kong. So I go to Hong Kong. Uh, on the way to Hong Kong, something's going real bad wrong with my health. I'm stiffening up in my upper body, and I'm just, I have no idea what's happened to me. The pain in my shoulders, joints, elbows, I'm just like paralyzed. And I told, you know, the Tories there and Black Cats there and all the Japanese office, and as soon as I got off the plane, they got me off the plane, they just rushed me through customs and, and took me to buy ambulance to the hospital. And what had happened is I, I got a parasite from sushi. Oh, my God. And it was really messing with my nervous system. And uh, they they couldn't figure it out. They thought I was crazy. They put me in a Catholic hospital. And when I'm walking down the hallway, because I couldn't fit in the wheelchair because it's just too damn little, they walked me to my my room, and I'm, I can't hardly walk. And uh, I see all these flower arrangements outside each door. I said, what's them flowers for? I just made a comment about, oh, he died. And I'm walking down this hallway, and all I see is flowers. I'm going, this ain't a good situation for me. So I'm in the hospital for four days, and they, they think that I'm crazy because they can't figure out what's wrong with me. Finally, Anoki the owner of New Japan, my boss, mm-hmm. he sent a Japanese doctor over there. He ran some blood tests and he found out new immediately what was wrong with me. And he shot me at this, uh, some kind of, you know, whatever it was, uh, right in the shoulder. I mean, in the IV. And uh, three minutes later, my body just started getting warm. Next thing you know, I'm moving around, I'm feeling, golly, man. I mean, I was freaking I thought I was, you know, I thought I was paralyzed for the rest of my life. So, anyways, I got to go home from Hong Kong for a week, with actually six days, and then I got to come back for a three-week tour. So I get back to, to Vancouver, Washington, where I was living at the time. I, because I was, you know, I came right out of Portland and started going to Japan. So I just stayed out west, and. uh I mean, I was just weak. I could hardly do anything. And I'm back on tour within, you know, six days. I get to the first night I got Muda. And then three weeks and three days later, I got Muda in a title match. So I'm wrestling Muda. We're, we're at, like, uh, Sumo Palace. It was a big show. And and I went over on Muda. <laughs> you know, it was the best match I could pull out of what I had. And I got three weeks. And then we do a title shot at the end. And I remember leading up to that title shot, I just started feeling better and better and better, and I started finally coming around. But, I mean, when I started off that tour, where I got at the end of the tour, I was finally back healthy pretty good. And that match that he and I had, I mean, he's such a talented guy. For that stage of my career, that that good of a match, 
it was really big for me. And you know, and kudos to that dude. I mean, it's hard to have a bad match with a guy that good. It really is, because he's that good. And uh, you know, and he's a tough guy. You know, we had it was a hard, heavy hit match. I mean, people ate it up, and uh, that was cool. That was a lot. You know, that's after that point in time. You know, I proved myself. You know, I worked. I, I was willing to work through injuries. Because you're only as good as your availability over there. And if you ain't got what it takes, if you ain't got, they're not, they can't, you know, if you can't get in that ring every night and if they can't ride you, they're not going to, you know, suit, you know, saddle you up. And, you know, I I saw all the guys, everybody, you know, we work with injuries, but, you know, then it started kind of mounting up on me. I started, I, you know, I, you know, that was the big one. I proved, you know, I mean, I'm I'm here. That is pretty scary, pretty crazy, because you're in a foreign land. You don't really know what happened. You feel paralyzed. You know, obviously, you find out the paralyzed. I was paralyzed. <laughs> well, you were paralyzed. Yeah, technically. Yeah, like, that's even scarier. You don't even really understand the language or the country. You don't really know what's going on. Well, Black Cat, he went, he went there was two shows there, and, and he was the one that was, he took care of the Americans, too. He, he was the locker room guy. He was he 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 was a trainer for the new town at the dojo. He rolled with the Americans. Cat took care of everything for you. Him and Tiama. Tiama was his, his his right hand man per per se. And Cat stayed with me every hour. I was like his responsibility because that was his tour. That's North Korean deal. He had it all, all the guys booked. He he made all the, the arrangements and everything and new Pantel, but you know the office went with it. He stayed with me night and day, and I was drinking water. I mean, I was so thirsty. He was pouring down these quart jugs of water on my throat every hour, and I was perspiring so bad. But he never left my side, unless uh, only to go to the show. He says, Scott, please, I have to go. I just can't go. You know, I mean, I'm just, there's nothing he could do. I mean, I'm just sitting there and finally went, you know, he 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 could, that was amazing. He spoke five different languages. He could read Japanese, Spanish, Chinese, English. He was just an amazing guy. He even got in the books trying to explain to what's wrong with me. He kind of knew, I think. So anyways, when that doctor came in and got me back on my feet, that was crazy. That was scary. It's a, it's a pretty good chapter in the book, I tell you. Definitely looking forward to that. That is kind of scary, but it'll be definitely cool to read, obviously, knowing that you came out of it okay. And you mentioned the big North Korea show, the WW New Japan collision in Korea that happened, and obviously 100-plus thousand fans were in attendance, and it's even crazier to think it was in North Korea, of all places. Was that a, a, a you know, safe haven, so to speak? Was that kind of a scary thing, kind of going into North Korea at that point for that big uh, peace festival? Well, the, <laughs> the, it was more than 100. It was almost, I think the, the, the crowds were 195,000, biggest outdoor shows ever. It, it was not a safe haven. It was horrible. We didn't think we were getting out of there. Flair was losing it. 
the things that they wanted Rick to do as our spokesman, I mean, he say North Korea is the greatest country in the world, they're a nuclear power. America's afraid of North Korea. This was unbelievable. But it was insane. Everywhere you went, the military is following you. The, There was nobody's the rooms that we stayed in when you opened the door, nobody's in that room for years. You could tell. It was just terrible. Mm. It was like a it was like a ghost town. I I don't even know how to explain. When we okay, when we landed in North Korea, they flew a plane to uh Narita, Japan to pick us up. This plane was in such bad shape it's unbelievable. Muhammad Ali and his publicist were sitting in front of me and Hawk. Behind them. This plane was rattling. I thought it was just where it crashed. The, the service on the plane, there was none. There was the pilot. There wasn't no crew. It, there was a you know a server, but I mean it was just it wasn't like going out of the airport. When they landed the plane, they parked it sideways on the runway when it stopped. Then these vehicles came out and got us. They brought us to the airport. We go into their airport. You could tell nobody is in there for years. There was so much dust in this, these rooms to walk through. It was insane. Then we hopped in these little pea green Mercedes bags. <laughs> and they take us to this hotel. And then you're there. It was just. But the military, I just remember, they were just on you. If they wanted to talk to you, they, if they asked someone of you, they'd walk over you and they'd grab you and they'd pull you and just start, you know, they'd, like, rough you up and they'd just take you someplace. Try to, anyways. And I remember pulling away from the guy and I said, what, you know, I, what's your problem, man? And, I mean, they are all armed up, weaponed up, and it was nuts. It was crazy. And to say that mm, it was it was no safe heaven. Definitely seems like it'd be kind of scary just for the fact you know all the, the, the things you're mentioning about North Korea. Plus, you guys are kind of over there, and it, I know it's for a peace festival and all those other things. But you're kind of just going over there right because Anoki had a good relationship with them, not really for any other reason than than really Anoki, correct? Yeah, but I don't. This is my personal belief. If if Muhammad Ali wasn't there, I don't think we'd have came back. I mean, they were they didn't know what to expect when we were what to expect from us, and we definitely had no idea what to expect from them. I was I was newly married, and I was trying to call home my wife for like three days. The elevators didn't work in this hotel. To make a phone call, you had to go down in the basement, the operator, make the call. Then you had to run back to your room. You can hear the phone ringing when you're coming down the hall, but by the time you get to the phone, they cut you off. So I'm trying to get in touch with my wife for three days. And I mean, I'm just doing it. You know, I mean, I know she's flipping out. You know, I'm in a foreign country, crazy-ass country I am in. So anyways, I finally get through. And they just did, they finally let me get through. 
It was it was insane. So anyways, I'm talking to my wife, and the first thing she does is get upset with me because I, I haven't talked, called her in three days. And she accused me of going out partying and, 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 you know, kind of abusing the relationship. I said, Tammy, you don't understand. I said, that's not even near the And she's, she's mad. And I said, babe, you don't understand what kind of shithole we're in here. The phone cuts off. I thought you hung up on me. And I'm just sitting there. She, that's hung up on me? Hmm. And about 15 seconds later, I get to blast on my door. Boom, boom, boom. Open the door up, and here's four or five guys with weapons and this military guy, and he's, they took me out of my room. And they're, I mean, they, with, they had rifles. I mean, it was just crazy. They take me downstairs. I walk right past the, the operator, and we're trying to make this phone call from and we, we go down this hallway, and it's like a, now it's a tunnel. You know, I mean, it's underground. I mean, I know this. And we walked further than the hotel would have been. So, I mean, we're on, you know, I'm just going like, this is a tunnel to another building. I don't know where the hell we're going. Also, they put me in this room. And this guy comes in the room, and he starts talking to me, and he says, you can't say that about North Korea. He's mad at hell at me. And I says, man, I just, I was in an argument with my wife. She thinks I'm out partying. I'm trying to get a hold of you. you. Guys won't let me. You know I'm mad now. Kind of back and forth. And he says we don't argue with our wives. And he's just getting madder and hell at me. And then all of a sudden these other people come in the room. And this one guy, he is just looking at me like, just shoot this prick. Leave me here. Don't, it don't even matter. You know. And that's finally I'm sitting there. You know I'm really starting to freak out. I mean they got all this military guys there. And they're talking to me, and I'm just trying to explain to them, you know, that's how we talk in the United States. We just sort of say, you know, I mean, I didn't mean it, which I did mean it. (laughs) At that point in time, you're just, you're freaking out. So finally, they threw me back to my room. They told me, no more phone calls. You don't speak nothing bad about North Korea. I mean, they were just browbeating the hell out of me. So Hawk's room's right next door to mine. And the authorities down a little bit further. So I go to Hawk's room. I tell Hawk, he and I go over to the Tory's room, and I tell the Tory, I said, man, they just, you know, I mean, I thought they were going to kill me. He said, you can't do that stuff. you got to be very quiet. You know, not, don't talk in room, nothing. I'm just going, this is nuts. And the whole time, now Fleur, he's crazy. He wouldn't get more than 10 feet away from me or Scott Steiner were out, you know, when they were taking us to the matches or, I mean, he rode over with me to the matches when we're going to the first night. And I don't blame him because, I mean, they were putting pressure on Rick. It was unbelievable. And it was absolutely the craziest thing I've ever done and ever been a part of. You know what happened to this warm beer kid that took the poster and they tortured him and ended up killing him? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's that's I that's so believable. So I mean, after what we saw there, the way they treat their people, the way they starve their people, their living conditions are absolute hell. You drive by not a few but hundreds of buildings that are the same 
gray concrete buildings with these little windows and they're about six stories high. There's no grass and they're just hundreds of these buildings and this is where they live. And I remember Rick and I, we were going to the show the first night and we're driving and it's like a three-lane highway going both ways, so it's like six lanes wide. And there's nothing but people on these highways except for the right-hand lane we're at, just driving slow. And I said, Rick, look at this, these people. I mean, this is unbelievable how many people are coming for the show. I said, I can't believe we're driving like this. Here, then the limo driver says to me, excuse me. And I said, yeah. He says, is it okay if I speak to you? I said, yeah. I mean, God, you speak English, please. He says, what do you mean by draw? People come to see us. I didn't didn't know that they would be this excited to come to see us. He says, they're not excited. If they don't show up, they get bullets in the head. They get oh. shot in the head. Forced oh, my head, God. He said, and I just went, well. And then Rick just went, oh, my God. Because, I mean, they're on Rick. They wanted him to do, like, uh, a State of the Union speech to their country, <laughs> you know, and I mean, they're really out of them, you know, and I mean, it was a big deal. So, yeah, and it was, it was crazy. It was, it was difficult, but if Muhammad Ali wouldn't have been there, I think we'd have been in a big lot of trouble because, you know, like me getting out of my wife, it wasn't good. They were, they, I, I just don't think that there's people in prison over there for a lot less. Somebody calling that country a shithole. I honestly think that, you know, the way that that regime handles itself, they just, you know, kill them. That's just my opinion. Scary, scary stuff. Uh, that is for sure. But just fast forwarding a little bit to a happier time and not as much of a crazy almost um, getting shot time (laughs) big Wednesday New Japan Pro Wrestling 98 you versus Yuji Nagata for the vacated IWGP title you win the world title obviously this is a huge huge deal one of the most biggest championships you could ever win in the history of pro wrestling especially in Japan especially being the New Japan being where they were at this point in time I mean just talk about winning the IWGP world title and kind of what that meant to you or does it mean more maybe to the fans than it does to the actual wrestlers uh, it meant a great deal to me uh, when, you, when you're in that office working with this crew and they put that much effort in the uh, they have to trust you to be their guy. And, I mean, by that time, I mean, they're my family. It, it was it was awesome working there. I mean, the, the people just took to me. I It was my home. You know, it was my wrestling home. And uh, to get that prestigious belt and that opportunity was just was unbelievable. I mean, uh you, you know, I mean, there's certain points of times in your career where you say, you know, it's, you, you arrived, you know, and that was one of them. And uh, it was a long road. I mean, a lot of hard work, worked through a lot of hard injuries. And, I mean, it's it's an achievement that, you know, you got 
you got to trust the people you're working with and for. And I did that. I absolutely, I was so blessed to work for that company and then people. I mean, I have such relationships that were just, uh, it was awesome. I mean, it was, it, it was, it, my opinion, I mean, I couldn't have worked in a better territory, the group, office. I mean, they're they're behind me all the way. They they just they gave me everything I needed to do or needed to be successful. And then you know I just went out and busted my ass hard as I could to you know to get to where we need to be. Now, to me as a fan, winning the IWGP title, especially at this point when there's a huge boom in New Japan and it's so big and so important, it just is like wow, you know. Winning that title means so much, and obviously, like you said, it's such an honor, and it means that they're really putting a lot of faith in you, and you know that means that they think you're a pretty tough draw over there. Is that a lot of pressure, you know, being the champ? Yeah, but you see, the top draw stuff—they already found that. They already figured that out. I mean, I was—I I did very well when I was a headliner on, with single matches. And, and tag matches when I was a headliner, um, and they—that's all taken into uh, uh, consideration, you know. And uh, at, by that time, I was so used to it; it was unbelievable. We, you know, in these positions to see if you can handle it, you know. And you know, they don't care if you mess up at the beginning. You know, Masa was hard as hell on me. Masa was like my sensei. He was my he was my boss. He's my brother. He was he pushed me so hard, and he I had a relationship with him that was unbelievable, and it stayed through all, all through this book. And uh, he he taught me how to be a pro. He taught me how to do it there in Japan, and I mean. Uh, he was, you know, he was my guy, man. And, and he took care of the Americans. He was the best guy I ever worked for. He just passed away last year, and it's it's terrible. I love that guy, but uh, I mean, uh, it's it, you know, it's 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 a tough position to be in. You know, my wife, she, my wife came to Japan twenty five times. Went on long tours, and she was at a lot of big shows. Joe says to me, are you really that comfortable in the rain? I said, you know, it's kind of like a duck on the water. You know, it's kind of turning faster inside. But, yeah. After a while, you know, I mean, you learn Japanese style. You know the fans are there. You know what it takes to get these matches across, you know. You, and, you know, I mean, I was willing to pay the price. I mean, I, I worked with injuries and worked through things where the, the Japanese fan, you know, I mean, I tore both bicep tendons or both tricep tendons, and they saw that. You know, I mean, you can't hide it. Your arm turned solid black, and I never missed a match. And they just saw, his, you know, God, this guy just can't stop him. And, you know, I didn't want to be stopped because, again, you know, I, you got to prove your availability. If you ain't available, you ain't going to get that spot. And once I got the top spot, I wasn't giving it up. And I held on to my spot longer than anybody ever had over there. I mean, I worked for the same company for 
them 17 years, and nobody's ever done that as a guy gene. And I was a top guy for a long time. And, it, you know, I worked my ass off to get there. And that was a goal of mine. And, uh, and I love it. And uh, it's something I'd, I would change a thing. But, yeah, you know, I mean, it's tough, but it, it, we get used to it. I mean, look at guys like, you know, Hogan back in the day. I mean, guys, he's, he worked out in front of sellouts all that. I promise you, he was just, it was like, ah, another night in the ring, you know. Over here, I mean, here it's a little different. It's not as physical or as challenging as what we went through in Japan. It just isn't. I mean, the matches, when you do a main event over there, big show, I mean, it's on. It's, it's flying, brother. I mean, when you're done, you're done. Right? Hmm. <laughs> and, uh, when that match is over, you're glad. It's not. Not that you're glad it's over, but you're welcome a break, right? <laughs> because you're definitely going to pay the price. And that's all right. You know, I mean, uh, that's what I choose to do. And that territory, that style of business is something that I loved. And it just fit for me that you know, it was my home, man. I mean, and... uh you know, that's like the, my book. You know, that's why it, 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 the story, it tells a story about a guy coming from America and, you know, I made it in another country when it was tough to do. And, you know, we just really, it was just a perfect fit for me. And, uh, and you know, I wish I was, I was still doing it, but <laughs> kind of wears you out. Yeah, absolutely. And just to put this into perspective, you do end up winning the IWGP title again. You beat Kensuke Sasaki. So only three gaijins in the history. So New Japan's basically been around for 50 years. Really only eight gaijins have ever won the IWGP world title, but only three have had multiple reigns with the title. So you're in some pretty elite company with Vader and AJ Styles as far as the only gaijin in almost 50 years of this history of this illustrious, great company known for their strong style, known for their wrestling, you, Vader, and AJ, the only guys to hold multiple world title reigns of the IWGP title. That's pretty cool. Uh, you're darn right it is. I mean, that's something I'm uh, very proud of. And it's, uh, you know, it's an achievement. I mean, you got to really prove yourself to be in that position with that company they just they're going to make you pay the price and uh you know they do the same i mean they don't just take anybody with wwe or wcw and give them that spot you know there's a couple i mean dennis robin wrestling you know or some of these guys i'm not necessarily too cool about when stuff like that happens. But with that spot over there, they didn't, you had to earn it. You had to just when they didn't give it to us for sure. Was it cool two years ago when you were able to return to New Japan and be a part of Wrestle Kingdom and kind of be a part of that New Japan Rumble and kind of return to the Tokyo Dome, so to speak? It was awesome. I mean, that was <laughs> that was unbelievable. When uh, you know, no, nobody, I wasn't surprised. 
wrestler, I guess I want to call it. And, uh, nobody knows that knew I was going to be there. And, you know, I was streaming on Twitter live for a long time. It was it was crazy. But, yeah, that was that – was, it was really good to get back with, you know, the new guys and see what they're like and what they're about. They were so cool to me, and it was just unbelievable to be part of that uh, that show. And then, you know, it gave me another little run over there. You know, I did some work for Anoki, and, and you know, I started touring back over a little bit, doing some appearances and stuff. So it, it was awesome. It's so great to kind of come full circle and be able to do that after such, like you said, 16, 17 year, year run in New Japan, which is pretty much unprecedented. But as we start to wind it down, we hit the wind down button. I just have to ask you, not just about New Japan, but I just want to touch on WCW for a second, because I know we kind of briefly touched on it. And basically, the reason why, you know, you weren't really in WCW as much, or like people kind of said, oh, you should have got a bigger push or a bigger run. Was it mainly just you just wanted to focus on New Japan and, you know, that's where the money was and that's where the bread and butter was? That's pretty much, that's pretty no. much it, right? I mean, that was the focus. No, but, but a lot of the purpose was about with me going to the NWO was helping new NWO to, to Japan, and we did that, and it was mm. huge. I mean, when I'm talking huge, it was huge. NWO in Japan was no joke. They were selling merchandise, I mean, diesel loads of this stuff. And uh, that was my, you know, I was working. See, when I wasn't on TV here, I was working over there. (laughs) (laughs) I never stopped working in New Japan. I worked in New Japan, then I came back here and went to work. I mean, I was killing myself for five years. But, you know, I mean, it was a great opportunity for me. You know, I, was, uh, you know, I, I took advantage of it as best I could. I, you know, and the NWO Japan was, I mean, when I came, when I used to first start wrestling in New Japan, when I would get to the airport, I would do press conferences in the airport. The reporters would be there for me, photographers, it was a big deal. Well, then that kind of quieted down after you've been there for so long. When I got off the plane, me and uh, Jeff Bagwell, I mean, Jeff Farmer and Marcus Bagwell, I tell you, there were more reporters and cameras and crazy. That airport was full, and NWO fans were everywhere. And I'm just going, wow, this is, I mean, we weren't expecting it. We got to the Kiel Plaza, the hotel we stayed, big five-star hotel, beautiful place was just slammed with NWO shirts, fans. People were just going nuts. Get up to my room, I'm going, this is like, I mean, it was like a madhouse, you know. I mean, they're just driving, you know, they're trying to get you to sign, you know, I mean, you can't take care of that many people. So anyways, the next morning, we go, you know, they tell us we're, we're leaving at 11 o'clock and, you know, we take touring buses over. They got a big, beautiful touring bus for us. I come walking downstairs, the lobby's full again, all NWO fans. It's just crazy. And I come walking out, and I see the bus, and they painted the bus, NWO. (laughs) It was crazy. And I mean, the people, the last show I just did a while ago, I mean, my last show was last uh, December, I guess. 
was a couple hundred NWO fans or shirts in the arena. I mean, they're still going crazy about the NWO over there. I see it all the time. They still sell the merchandise sells really well over there still. I'm just so yeah, New Japan was you know they did very well with the NWO, and that was you know part of my niche, you know, because we had our own group of Japanese Muda Chono. Benzon, Kojima, you know, we had our little team, team, you know, NWO team, New Japan, and uh, it was great. It was a hell of a run. So that was, you know, something that nobody really understands why maybe I didn't get used to. You know, I mean, there's no question I could, you know, had a better run and you know if I'd have concentrated if I I mean if I'd have been spending concentrating on the states, I know I'd have gotten I'd have got a hell of a run. But it's not that I didn't try to have a hell of a run here, but it's hard to do that in two different places. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They already I already got all my exposure in Japan. Now I can't get that much exposure in the States when I'm putting a program and also two weeks later, I got to be in Japan for a big show at the Tokyo Dome or something. So it breaks things up. It's, you know, it's glitches. And that's just, you know, but again, I wasn't let go of Japan. I was the guy. I had the spot. I worked my ass off for it. I wasn't giving it up. And man, did you have a remarkable career over there in Japan just to know we talked about some favorite matches, but do you have some other favorite matches maybe that you had over there that, that kind of stick out above others? Obviously the title ones we talked about, but maybe some others that we haven't quite talked about? I had one with Nagata one time, and this is after uh, he did a shoot fight against uh, Crow Cobb. And uh, we had an album match. I mean, it was a, it was one of the most entertaining matches I've ever you know, a lot of uh, people really put a lot of so that was one of the greatest matches I've seen over there. And then here's the one that really sticks out to me is Daniel Bryan or Bryan Daniels. I keep you know, wish they wanted to twist that around on me because he and I wrestled against Nagata and Liger one time in a tag match. And I mean, we tore the house down. It was unbelievable. And Daniel or Daniel Bryan or Brian Daniel or whatever the heck it is, hmm. he, he was like 19. He's my tag partner, and he's never worked against Lego or Nagata. And I've worked a ton with him. So we're, we're getting this match in the 30-minute mark, and we're still flying, man. I mean, this thing's on. It's just it's going great. And I'm in the room with Lager. And Lager starts doing the stuff that we used to do where I'm in and out of the ring. I'm chasing him all over the freaking place. And, I mean, I'm a big man, and I'm getting winded. So as I finally stopped Lager, and I just, like, I stopped him. Dead in the tracks. And I say, Daniel, and I said, Daniel, man, I need a blow. I mean, that was a lot. I mean, I was, you know, we're about 33, 34 minutes in this match. 
He went in there for about the next 10 minutes and just tore the house down. I'm just like, I'm standing, I'm just going, who is this kid? <laughs> and finally, I'm telling him, I said, hey, man, I'm good. But, you know, he just, I mean, it's like he forgot he had a tag partner. You know, finally we get the, the match, we do our thing, and we go home, and I think I I beat Lager that night. And, uh Get back in the back of the locker room, and I says, kid, I said, you're, you're one of the best wrestlers I've ever seen. And that was unbelievable. We ended up getting match of the year for it. They gave us nice trophies and everything. And uh, it was a pretty cool deal. And I and I did that a couple times. I remember I got uh, match of the year with, with Rick Steiner one time. But Scotty had a torn bicep. And... Uh, I told it to Scotty, and we tore it down. But, you know, I had a lot of great matches with uh, tag matches with Herc. I had some unbelievable six-man tags with the Samoans. I mean, uh, Samu and Coquina were unbelievable. They taught me so much at me also. I had great matches against uh, Tenzan and Kojima. I mean, I remember having matches with uh, Tenru. Just as stiff and tough and rough. I mean, just just tearing each other up. But, I mean, the people are going nuts. And the things that we did were so much harder than what they, you know, strong style, whatever. But, I mean, they go with it. And and another guy I had great matches over with was me. Oh, my God. That monster, me and him would, he always, he called me in the locker room one time and said, God, he says, something about you. You bring the animal, animal out of me. And I said, well, tell that son of a bitch to get back in you, brother. <laughs> 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 but, man, me and him would just tear it down. I mean, I was, you know, and most of the guys I had really great matches with, they made them great for me. You know I mean? They went out and they helped me along. And as I got older in the business, I did that with a lot of young guys coming up. You know, Tanahashi was like a project of mine. I mean, you know, I I knew my position in that business because I knew what they, it took to get me over, and I was going to get him over. And, I mean, he was very uh, respectful of me, and he and he wouldn't – he thought he would, would be doing – you know, he was – I can't do that. I'm not good enough. So I said, but oh, you're not. I'm going to tell him, I said, you don't do it. I said, I don't take your effing head off. <laughs> I said, you ain't going to be able to do it. You know what I mean? And we, you know, I, I brought him up to a level, you know. I mean, I, I wasn't the guy that made him the wrestler he is today. I was the guy that got him thinking right. And, you know, we worked on his confidence. Same thing with uh, Maccabee. He goes, Scott, you know, I can't do that. I said, hell, you can't do it. If you don't, I'm going to do it. <laughs> but, you know, we just, we helped each other. We worked with each other. You know, a lot of guys went out of their way to help me be successful in the ring. And, you know, and I went out of my way. That's why I stayed at that, that company for as long as I did. I, you know, I didn't eat people alive anymore, you know, because when I came in, they wanted me to. Then when it's time to make somebody else real good, I, 
you know, it was my, I, I was glad to do it. You know, I was, I made them work their way up, you know, and I mean, uh, great business over there, man. I, I, I absolutely loved it. And to think about Tanahashi now being the, the ace of New Japan, obviously, you know, he had quite a run, one of the biggest stars they ever had, top guys, and it's great that a guy like you came along and kind of helped him and, and taught him the ropes. You never know if he, he didn't get that confidence boost forever, but he might not have been the you know the one-in-a-million star that he ended up turning to be. Well, you know, when I saw him at uh, the Tokyo Dome back in a couple years back, he says, you made me. And I says, Tyler, actually, I, I didn't make you. I said, I used to say the same thing. They opened the door and they gave me a lot to but you know, I mean, he's he's such a good kid. I mean, he's unbelievable. He is an unbelievable person. And, the, you know, I saw him again in Long Island not too long ago, you know. And I said, oh, thank you. You made me. I said, Tanahashi, this is you, brother. It was all there. You just need to put it in work. You know, that's just like myself. When I was... Coming out of high school, you know, Hawk and Rude, Kurt and all the guys, they went into it. I didn't. I wasn't ready. But later on, I was. You know, and Tanahashi, he was put into a tough position. You know, he's a great-looking guy. They said, man, we got to get this guy up and running. And, you know, when I would start working, you know, usually when they take a guy like Tanahashi, they put put him in an eight, six-man tag. They put two veteran Japanese guys, Tanahashi, and then the, the Americans. And uh, I always went right to Tanahashi. I said, Tanahashi, I got you. And he's just like, you look at me with his eyes wide okay. And he was just like, he thought I was mad. Or he, said, no, he didn't know. And I started working with him. And I started seeing, telling what is expected of him. And he got a little bit more comfortable. And he wouldn't fire back on me. And, you know, I made comments. I said, Tom, I said, don't fire back. I want to take your fucking head or you freak your head off. And I met it. And, uh, and I, you know, some nights I kind of did. And, you know, finally I got him firing, man. I mean, and, you know, he could hurt me. And uh, we got him up and running. It was exciting. It was fun. It was fun to see. He was so happy about it and you know and he he always you know I mean, you know still to the to the day you know what I mean and that just makes you that's a feather in your hat man because you know when you read my book and you, you, you along the way in everybody's career they don't tell you the truth that people helped you get to where you're at that you know they're just not telling you know and I had a lot of guys that did a lot of great things for me a lot of people that I really, really owe and, and have. And, and I, that's one thing about in the book, you know, I, I it's all there. And uh, going from Baron Von Raschke to, to a lot of guys that helped me along the way. And I, I got to work with them. Kurt Hennon's dad, I mean, Brad Reagan's, Masasidal for sure. Fujinami, I mean, there's so many friends and so many people along the way. It, it, you know, when you get to look back at what you did for a living and a sport, you go, man, that, what, 
that was awesome. You know, I mean, God, what, you know, we got paid really great. We, you know, it's just a, what a blast. I mean, and you know, I'm just fortunate to come through the way I did, and you know, the friendships I made over the years, and you know, I'm a lot to talk about it. When can somebody, you know, hate wrestling historians, whoever, when they kind of close a chapter on Scott Norton and kind of look back at his career and just think about Scott Norton, the arm wrestler, Scott Norton, the pro wrestler, you know, the le- the legendary wrestling figure, if you will, what would be kind of the stamp or what's the lasting legacy that you think is Scott Norton? What do you think is that legacy you leave behind? Well, you know, just today we, we released the website, the book, and the book's on sale today. And, uh, this is bar muscle part of it. And Devin Laird's, who's the, the hottest, best arm muscle in the world, today, you know, I reached out to him to do a, a blurb for my book, and uh, he did. It was really great what he said and the things he, he mentioned, you know. And uh, so today, today when I released it, and uh, he called me up and congratulated me, you know, and he says, uh, and I, you know, we're talking back and forth about arm wrestle, and, and I just said, you know, it's so awesome, Dave, how great arm wrestle is, and uh, how advanced it's come, and you know, it's a, it's a career now that you can really concentrate on it being a career. And I'm just so happy for you guys that we'll, we built it on your shoulders. And when guys say stuff like that about you, it was good. Talk about Tanahashi what he did for me or what I did for him, what we did for each other, and he, he shows that respect back. Nothing better. Masa Saedo. I talk about Masa Ladri's boy. He meant that much to me. What he did for me, you know, for what people have done for him, my legacy is that what I'm so proud of is I treated people right the whole way through. Never took advantage of nobody and I respected everybody. And I and and I just you know, I gave it everything I had. You know, I showed up, no excuses. It's ring. But, you know, I didn't step over or behind anybody's back. I did my job and you know, I I treat people right. That's what means more to me. And just about anything. And of course, one last time, it is scottflashnorton.com. You can get the book. It's available right now to pre-order. It is Strong Style, the autobiography of Scott Flash Norton. Definitely a must-read. I can't wait till this thing comes out. Dying to know just a little bit more about you. I mean, obviously, the great run in New Japan, WCW, arm wrestling. You've been there. You've done that. You've done it all. But please give one last plug for the book. Well, you know, I've I've had a, an amazing life. I've done so many different things and, and been involved in a, a lot of great – there's a lot of chapters in this book that just – it's it, it's not just for a pro wrestler or arm wrestler or a guy involved in sports. It's, it, everybody can enjoy this book. And it's 
I'm amazed how well done the book is. It really is. I mean, it's just when you when you set out to do something like this, you're just kind of nervous about everything. I am so confident in this book. It's the best thing I've ever professionally been involved in. Be able to put it together the way that's put together, present it to, to everybody. I'm I'm so proud of it. It's it's a it's it's really an achievement for me that I never really thought was going to happen at like this. It's just it, you know I, one thing I have a hard time doing is try to talk about myself. You know, but this book does a Adam did a phenomenal job. It's a great read. I. I've got so many positive responses back about it. Nobody's said anything bad, negative, you know, and uh, it's just a, it's a really good book. And I really hope the, the fans enjoy it. I know they're going to, and they get a perspective of, of a guy, you know, going from one country to another and learn, learn how to get along and, and do something that's, you know, I, I was fortunate to, you know, enough to do for 30 years. It was just, it's an awesome story. I know everyone's going to enjoy it. All right. Awesome stuff. And kind of where else, social media-wise, can they find you? Facebook, Twitter, where else can the fans kind of find it? All all the books. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. It's all there. All right. Awesome stuff. And obviously, if you follow them on Facebook and follow them on Twitter, you'll find out even more information about Strong Style. Scott Norton's book, and one one more time, I'll say go to scott-norton.com for more info. Scott, I cannot wait. And obviously, you know, I've said it before, but I'll say it again, a huge, huge legend, not only here, but of course in Japan as well, one of only a few men to have a multiple-time reign as IWGP champion. That'll go down in the history books for all times. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, it's, it's great talking about this, you know, it's, I mean, it's a little emotional sometimes, but uh, yeah, it was awesome. It's just a, I loved it. So I really appreciate talking and sharing my stuff with you, story with you, and uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.